I'm Dr. Ward Bond, and I welcome you to Life-Changing Wellness Episode 65. Today, we talk with one of the world's top sports and entertainment agents about hitting bottom while at the top due to opioid substance abuse. And this is going to be one very life-changing episode. This is Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness. Life-Changing Wellness. Here's Dr. Ward Bond. Well, welcome everyone to this week's program. And before we begin, if you could just do me a favor, please head over to iTunes after the interview with my guest today, rate and review the show for me. And I thank you ahead of time of making our show great. And I encourage you to look up my show page on radiomd.com slash Dr. Bond. Well, my guest today is Darren Prince, one of the world's top sports and celebrity agents. And Darren started a mail order company selling baseball cards at the age of 14 called Baseball Card City. And at the age of 20, he sold his company for a million dollars and formed Prince of Cards, which became an industry leader in private autograph signings for sports and celebrity memorabilia with athletes and celebrities. His A-list celebrities included the likes of Muhammad Ali, Magic Johnson, Pele, Joe, Joe Montana, and Smokin' Joe Frazier, Dennis Rodman, Hulk Hogan, Pamela Anderson, and that's just the short list. His new book, Aiming High, with a forward from Magic Johnson, details his write-up with famous stories along the way, as well as his ride-down with never-before-told stories. The book and Darren's decision to do more recovery advocacy and speak out to others is part of his dedication to contributing to the conversation that needs to be front and center today. He speaks about awareness, prevention, and cautions others at a time where record numbers of Americans are dying from opioid substance abuse. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome our very special guest today, Darren Prince. Welcome to the show. Thanks for the intro. You're very, very welcome. I mean, you deserve a big intro just like your clients do, correct? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, let's kind of build the story here because uh, I read your book from cover to cover. I think I read your book in two days. I was literally just uh, – it was it was almost a cliffhanger to me because it was just one story after another. But you became very successful at the age of 14. How did that all come about? I – um. I had a passion for collecting baseball cards, and as I often, when I speak to different groups, um, really studying the ones that were worth the most amount of money. Uh, a lot of my friends cared more about the current players. I cared about ones that were worth more money, uh, that were from the 50s and 60s that maybe they got from uncles, fathers, cousins, and slowly but surely I would trade, and I put together a pretty massive collection for 14 years old that that, that was worth uh, maybe about eight or nine grand. And I asked my dad one day for homeowner's insurance because uh, I was afraid of a flood or theft. And he said, what do you need? I said, about eight or nine. And he goes, all right, I'll call the homeowners. I'll get you a thousand worth of insurance. And he thought I was nuts. And I go, no, no, dad, eight or nine thousand. So now he really thinks I'm crazy. And I went upstairs to show him all the price guides and he challenged me and he said, uh, but who's going to buy these things? And there was a baseball card show in town that uh, exact weekend. Uh, I had like a week to prepare for it. And for 20 bucks, I got my own table. I put every ounce of energy and effort into that display, making sure that it was meticulous because I grew up in special education classrooms and I felt like I always had something to prove. I always felt less than. I never felt a part of. I always felt spiritually broken. And um, that was my calling. And uh, that, you know, that started 
three different businesses. It wasn't just the baseball card company that eventually um, I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year selling, buying, and trading by the time I was 16. But a sports memorabilia company, I sold that in 1995, and then I started the agency that I have now, Prince Marketing Group. Well, you know, I find it amazing, and I hear a lot from uh, others that in the past where they had been labeled special ed or been put in special ed classes when they didn't really need to be there. Uh, how much did that uh, weigh on you being put into a class like that? And um, did you feel that you needed to be there or you were just there because someone told you you needed to be there? You know, my, my, my brain definitely worked differently than everybody else. Um, it, it was a matter of having things that I was interested in. And I knew, you know, U.S. history, foreign language, stuff like that. I just I just couldn't get it. It was a real struggle for me. But when it came to getting on a soccer field or a baseball field or a tennis court or sitting around with my friends and, you know, flipping baseball cards and kind of studying the numbers on the back, the statistics, I realized there was something really special and unique about my brain when it came to numbers. And um, so math, I excelled in, but everything else, I was a bust. And I was in classrooms with five or six kids while everybody else was in 40 or 50. So when you're watching your friends walk by and you're in these small rooms, what do you think it does to a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old's uh, you know, self-confidence and self-worth? So what was it like when you went to, uh, I believe it was, you had gone to summer camp and you were first introduced to a, at that time, a wonderful little pill? Yes, it was actually a liquid and I wound up having uh, severe stomach pains one night at 12 years old. And, um, I tell the story so often, and uh, I asked the counselor to take me to the infirmary. He introduced me to a nurse. Her name was Greta. She gave me this clear plastic cough syrup cup with this green liquid, and it tasted absolutely horrible. But within a couple minutes, where I was walking across the softball field to go back to the bunk, I felt like Superman. Every feeling of inadequacy, insecurities, feeling of less than, not being a part of, it all went away in an instant. I got back to the bunk and all the guys were laughing with me, not at me. I was the good-looking one, the smart one, the popular one. I had the courage to go next door to talk to all the girls and actually flirt with the girls for the first time in my life. And I went to bed that night thinking nothing of it. Woke up the next day, did all my activities. That very next night, lying in bed, I didn't have an ounce of stomach pain whatsoever as a 12-year-old. And I'm thinking, that feeling was amazing last night. And I look over at the counter. I said, man, my stomach's killing me again. We got to go back. I did this for three straight weeks until my mom and dad came up for visitation day and spoke to the nurse and found that I was taking liquid Demerol, which is obviously a hardcore opiate-based painkiller and uh, in liquid form. And um, that was it. I mean, I, I knew right then that it was affecting me very differently than it would have affected their own person. I mean, my mind was just completely blown. And uh, I chased that feeling for years. And you actually enjoyed that feeling at that time, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, did you ever look back, especially now, um, do you look back at all those years that uh, you were chasing the high, so to speak, and and then looking at yourself today that you, you would have still had the success even without the drugs, correct? I think I would. It's interesting. I spoke to about 2,500 kids this week, and a couple of them asked this question. It didn't just happen here. It happened on a talk show that I did in D.C. that I was fearless for many, many years. When Once I got out of the collectibles and the baseball card game and I became an agent and Magic was my first client, now I'm in the top 
of the world in sports and entertainment. You know, Muhammad Ali, Pamela Anderson managing her, all these regal icons, and I didn't know how to fit in. So I stopped doing illegal drugs, but I wound up manipulating and lying to doctors. And look, when you manage those type of people, I'd bring Joe Frazier into one of their offices. I'd get a jersey signed by Joe Montana, whatever it was. And, you know, I'm functioning. I'm completely normal. Nobody would have thought anything other than that. And um, I had some back pain, so I played it up. And for a good 10 years, it worked. Everywhere I went, it was about taking opiates, Percocets, Vicodins, Oxycontins, the best parties, the Super Bowls. Uh, the biggest concerts, the biggest red carpet events, but I didn't know how to do any of it without putting those pills into my system. And um, eventually, I like to say, it it eventually turned on me. And it wasn't just um, living to use anymore. It was more using to live. I don't know my personality back then without those pills, if I would have been able to excel to that degree. Um, But I would like to think if I, as a 12-year-old, if I had the courage to speak up, which is what I try to tell teenagers to do now, and not think that feeling's normal, and tell a guidance counselor, a teacher, a friend, mother, father, you know, whoever it might be, that I just feel different. I'm verbally teased by my friends for being stupid. I feel less than. If I would have addressed those issues, the underlying roots to why I needed the drugs, then I do believe absolutely I still would have been a success, because I was still a success in the baseball card business. I was a hustler. I always had it in me to do things different than everybody else, and a hustler in a good way. Uh, wheeling, dealing, buying, selling, uh, my brain just couldn't shut off. But um, yeah, but like I said, if I can go back in a time machine and do it a little bit differently, um, I would absolutely, as a 12-year-old, uh, you know, wish I had the courage and the strength. But uh, it's not the way it worked out, and I'm very blessed to be alive and be able to talk about my journey and share it with other people. So especially these children don't go down the road that I did. Well, you know, it's amazing, Aaron, because as I was reading through your book, I was very impressed with the way that you weaved your addiction, uh, you know, during the early years to to illegal drugs and then definitely to the, the so-called legal drugs that everybody's having a problem with today, how you weaved that story in with the other untold stories that you give in the book with all of your uh, A-list clients, and I think the most touching story, if you would like to touch on it briefly uh, for all of us today, about when Muhammad Ali and Smoke and Joe Frazier actually came together, but you were actually high during that uh, momentous moment. Yes, I couldn't, um, and, and again, this is all started with a single shot at Demerol sleepaway camp, because Nowadays, it seems like we focus on the worst days and we should be focusing on the first. Why did I need that in my system? Why did I feel so broken? Why did I have to chase that feeling? Here I am at the two biggest regal kings of all time. I mean, I've been with Dolly and Frazier. I don't care who it is. I've seen Lionel Richie, De Niro, Pacino, President Clinton, Michael Jackson, Steven Spielberg, uh, Dustin Hoffman, literally like their jaws dropped. They were different. They were at a level that nobody was ever at. Nelson Mandela. Um, it's, they were just different. They weren't just iconic athletes. They were the kings of kings of any room they ever walked into. And I had so much access to them during a 15, 16-year period, especially Smoke and Joe, um, much more than Muhammad. But I, I still spent a ton of time at Muhammad's house in Berrien Springs. His longtime agent, Harlan Warner, was one of my closest friends in the world. And I felt in this moment that I didn't deserve to be there. 
I didn't deserve to be in Muhammad Ali's suite in Philadelphia the night before the NBA All-Star game with Smoke and Joe to watch these two bury the hatchet, the, the, the blood trilogy that they had in the ring, this bitter hatred. And uh, 20 minutes before we even walked into the room, I was chewing on a, a bunch of painkillers because I, you know, I couldn't be present for it. I, I didn't think for a minute that I deserved to be there. And, now, um, you... you know, I remember a lot of it. I don't regret yeah the fact that that's what happened, um, because I could look back at it now. And with 10 years of sobriety, 10 and a half years of sobriety under my belt, one day at a time, I know I do deserve, I did deserve to be there. I wasn't a bad person. I was a sick person. And, um, you know, I, I fully deserve to be there in that moment with those two kings because of the trust and the love and the admiration we all had for one another and what Harlan Werner and I did behind the scenes to get them to bury the hatchet and let the world know that, hey, if we can make peace, so could the rest of the world. Well, one of the, I think one of the most important things you've just said is that you were not a bad person, you were a sick person. And I think a lot of people who are dealing with substance abuse today need to realize they're not a bad person, they're a sick person that, that needs help. And in your book, you really, you were very, very candid with your substance abuse to the point to where you knew how to get a hit in public without ever, anyone ever seeing that you had a problem. You knew how to take it out of your pocket. You knew how to slip it into your mouth and just go on with life and uh, basically uh, fooling everyone around you. A hundred percent. The only time um, probably that it became a little bit more public, and I talk about it in the book, is the overdose I had in 2007 at the NBA All-Star Game uh, weekend when uh, Dennis Robin and I just signed a deal with Mark Cuban for his own TV show. And, uh, you know, there's a handful of people that were there that knew I, I, I had a real rough night. Um, but, yeah, I was highly functioning, man. It was, um, you know, it, 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 it's scary because when you hear and read about loved ones today, celebrities, musicians, entertainers, and all of a sudden they're gone in a, in a you know split second, that was me. So you're like, oh my God, I didn't even know they had a problem. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, functioning alcoholics, there's also functioning drug addicts. Well, what was what was it like with maybe some of your clients? I'm, I'm not mentioning any names because you know who they are. And, and also maybe other uh, A-listers that you've come in contact with where as you were under the influence, you saw that they had a problem. Did you ever relate seeing their problem with the problem you had, or you just thought, hey, wow, they got a problem and they need to get cleaned up, not even thinking that you needed to get cleaned up? Well, Dennis Robinson admitted alcoholic, and, he, you know, he, he's doing a lot better, but, you know, he, he had a really, really bad run. We were trying to get him back in the NBA. I, I came certified as an NBA player agent, and he completely blew it one night, literally three hours after I got off the phone with Bill Jackson, who was going to give him a look to bring him into the Lakers. And, uh, we did a full-blown intervention. I was high at the intervention, thinking nothing was wrong with me. This guy needs help. And um, he got sober for a year and a half. Again, I talk about that in a book, that if I only knew to do the same thing for myself, but I was so caught up in the exterior success, the money, the life, everything I accomplished. Hey, nobody thinks I have a problem. Nobody knows I have a problem. Maybe I don't have a problem. You know, this is the way it's meant to be. I'm supposed to be high on uh, opiates all day and wheeling and dealing and then at night chill out and get my alone time to, to, to recover. Now, when was your turning point of finally realizing 
you got a problem and you need to get cleaned up. By the way, I got the privilege and the honor to meet uh, Pastor Joel Olstein, as you know, a couple weeks oh, yeah. ago. We were on a good day uh New York. He was on five minutes before me, and he came over to say hello to me and Dennis, and he actually asked the same thing. So I love when people ask me this question, because that's that God moment where I believed in God, but I never fully allowed him into my life. It was always, you know, the glass was half empty, or why this, or why that, or how did it get to this point? I... um was told by my uncle and his then-girlfriend, Andrea, they were in the 12-step fellowships of recovery, which is for um, alcoholics and drug addicts that have you know, fully recovered one day at a time from a hopeless state of mind. And uh, it's primarily a spiritually-based program and fellowship of brothers and sisters around the world that we help each other one day at a time to get through crazy stuff that we never could have gotten through and to enjoy the highs and ride the lows and the in-betweens. And he knew I was done. He knew I was beaten. He knew I had the gift of desperation. And uh, he was pushing me to go to the fellowship, and I refused. And I locked myself in, in the bathroom in my uh, apartment at the time, and I fell to my knees with the last of my opiates in my hand. And I just shouted out. I said, God, I can't do this anymore. Help me. I'm begging you. Take the chains off. Take the business away. Whatever it is to give me that one day of freedom, I'll do whatever it takes. I don't care. I'll take away the money, the, the notoriety. And um, with that, I stood up something come over me. I heard a voice say, I got you and you're ready. And uh, my right hand opened up. I flushed the opiates. I went into the living room. I went onto a computer. I found a 12-step meeting. And on the cab ride over, I remember the feeling like yesterday, I'm shaking, trembling, thinking, oh my gosh, for the first time in my life, I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to get high. And by the grace of God, that's the date, July 2nd, 2008. It's my sobriety date. And I walked into a church basement just like I said to Hulk Hogan a couple of weeks ago, my MA launch event, I looked at him when I was speaking to the crowd. I said, Hulk, it wasn't you. It wasn't Magic. It wasn't Ali or Smoking Joe or Dennis Rodman. These people in recovery that were recovered alcoholics and drug addicts made me feel whole for the first time in my life. I could identify with what they were saying. I could understand their thought process. They started to love me before I could love myself. They showed me love. They showed me faith. They showed me hope, and that was it. What I thought was the darkest, worst day in my life turned out to be the brightest and the best. Well, how many meetings have you attended now? Uh, I, I go as as much as I go as much as I can, and I, I, I believe uh, there's a joke back in the rooms in New Jersey when I'm in California that there might not be anybody that's gone to more around the world than I do. It's the same way that people go to temple, they go to church. It's a spiritual connection that I just can't get enough of, and. Um, I've been to Fiji, Sydney, Australia, Monaco, London, England, uh, Anguilla, uh, Turks and Caicos. Uh, almost everywhere I go, there's meetings. And to be able to walk into a church basement, a clubhouse, I was in Maui and Honolulu a couple months ago, walk on the beach, and you're around a dozen, two dozen, three dozen people that all understand we're trying to do the best we can one day at a time to be a better person that the drugs and the alcohol is really secondary once you understand how to live like sober, that we want to be better people. You know, I don't want to, uh, I want to stay on that spiritual beam as much as possible. And it's a daily reprieve. So just because I went to five meetings last week, it doesn't mean I could take off four or five days. It doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, pick up and relapse, but I just don't want to be in that state of mind. I'm much more peaceful and much happier and calmer and more centered when I'm saying what I mean meaning what I say and not saying it mean. But I'm yeah, understanding yeah. people, you know, instead of people understanding Darren Prince. I'd rather yeah. feel all right, even the heat of confrontation, than right. 
even if I know I'm 100% right work because that little two minutes that I might lash out and have an emotional hangover, five or ten minutes, I don't even know what we're about to argue about because I didn't open up my big fat mouth. <laughs> well, let me ask you something because, um, well, you know, and at the same time, you know, you've gained so much experience by going to all of these meetings that, you know, you're in that position to help hundreds and thousands of tens of thousands of people with what you've lived through. Now, kind of help us here about getting sober. There's the four A's. There's action, accountability, acceptance, and attitude adjustment. Can you give us uh, yeah. some uh, some insight on that? And accountability. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, accountability is everything to me, not just in and out of recovery. You don't need to have a, a drug or alcohol problem. You know, accountability for all of us. We all want to be better people, and you have to find your own bottom in your own way. And when it comes to recovery, you just have to want it more than ever, anything. Don't worry about the fact that you can't pay bills or you don't know where your next meal comes from. As crazy as it sounds, when you do God's work, when you throw yourself into this fellowship and fully surrender every fiber of your soul, I have seen miracles happen that are just beyond mind-blowing, beyond mind-blowing, and I'm one of them. And I see them every day, people coming in and out of the fellowship. And you, you just you have to put it first. It's got to come before your job, before your family, before anything, because anything you put before your sobriety, you're going to lose it all anyway. Well, it's got to become the you. most important thing in your life. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and I love the fact that uh, with action being the first word, you took the action. You you, you threw the pills into the, the toilet. You took a cab. You got to your first meeting. And, you know, your book, Aiming High, you know, I can't wait for the sequel, to tell you the truth. You know, the clean and sober, <laughs> full-blown sequel. But you know what? I want, I, want to, I want to hear this because you have been invited by the White House, and tell us, and, and I just saw the pictures online of you being at the White House this week, but you've been to the White House numerous times, too, in a way, you've kind of become one of the movers and shakers uh, to kind of move this uh, to the forefront about the opioid substance abuse that we have in this country. Tell us some, something about that. It's, it's a tremendous God-given honor, because I know it's not me, and um you know, I have a relationship with the president, who I used to call Mr. Trump from Celebrity Apprentice. Dennis Rodman and Brandy Roderick were both clients on his show several times, and we also did some business together. And um, last year, I was honored by Turning Point, which is New Jersey's largest drug and alcohol rehab center, and I was in communication with Donald's longtime, well, I should say now say the president's longtime assistant, Rona Graff, who referred me to Andrew Giuliani. Rudy's son in the White House, and we made an appointment for me to come in in January. And um, I told them my story. They saw some. They saw some footage of me speaking at the gala. He asked if I'd be interested in helping the administration, going into schools, sending preventative messages, and helping people that are already struggling, that are adults. I said absolutely. It'd be the greatest thrill of my life. The whole premise of this fellowship is you can't keep your sobriety unless you give it away to others. And I've been to the White House three times since March. I was there for the epic uh, announcement on the initiative on March 1st. Uh, I was there one other time a couple months ago, and then I was there two days ago when uh, the president and his administration signed off on a $6 billion um, bill that's going to be distributing the funds all over America to help with this opiate epidemic, but also prescription medications. You know, there's so much out there that doctors are over-prescribing that they're just as bad as some of the drug dealers. You know, I got time at uh, 
Christy afterwards. Him and I both went to the same high school. I've met him over the years. I spent a little bit of time with Kellyanne Conway. She got my book because I shipped a, a bunch to the White House, and she said she's going to read it and be in touch. And to, you know, God bless me on this journey that I'm on. I saw Ivanka, who I knew years ago from uh, Celebrity Apprentice, and it's kind of funny because when I see the Trumps in the White House, it still doesn't seem real to me because I, you know, I knew them <laughs> beforehand. And it's a little like- bit surreal that we've seen him speak because it, it, it's, it is just, um, but, but what a ride he's been on. And the reason why I, I'm not there to make political comments or right. to tell people what my political beliefs are, this is something we all must come together on. Because no, you're... you can be completely against him. You can be completely against the president and everything he stands for. But you better believe you know somebody in your inner circle, because everybody's affected by it, that is sick and suffering from this opiate epidemic, and you don't want to lose a loved one. So this initiative and this bill that he signed off on could directly save that person. I I completely agree with you, Darren. And for all of my listeners out there, you need to realize that Darren Prince beat and continues to beat daily this, uh, you know, the opioid substance abuse that so many Americans are dealing with today. And, And Darren said it, you know, it's, uh, you know, Elvis Presley thought it was okay to take all of those medications his doctors were giving him because, well, they were coming from a doctor, so it was okay. But a lot of people are hooked on their medications, and they're trying to find that next tie. And Darren's story is a perfect example of hitting bottom while you're at the top. And and Darren, I'm going to, t- you know, your your story touches me, and I'm going to try to do this without tearing up. But I got to tell you something. There's a scripture that's got your name all over it, and it's Psalms uh, 118.17, and it says, I shall not die, but I shall live, and declare the miraculous works of the Lord, and that is yours. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. Yep. And uh, yep, that says it all. It says that it says all. That says it all. Yep, and, it says and, it all. Hulk Hogan said to me a couple of weeks ago after he heard me speak, he's like, brother, because when you get up there, I never saw you so comfortable. It's almost like you could speak to a football stadium. I said, Hulkster, it's not me. I said, God is speaking through me when I get up there. I go, trust me. I go, I go into a different place because this is a story that's got to be told. And people need to understand that there's strength in recovery. There's strength and courage in telling people that you need help. It's not a sign of weakness. And the Darren Prince agent was just a byproduct of what my calling was. And that's to be a recovery advocate at the forefront of the opiate epidemic movement. And that's why I do what I do. Well, you know what, Darren? I believe that, uh, you know, there's a saying that as our gift grows, our influence grows. And, you know, God's grace has been on you ever since you were a teenager, since that first night in summer camp and even today. And there's a journey for everyone. And, uh, you know, you calling out to him, he rescued you, changed your life, and now you're an example to thousands of, and even millions of people today that need to be freed and rescued from substance abuse. Uh, you've even made it to the White House to, to help be part of getting a $6 billion bill passed to help all of those people. And again, and I mean it, brother, um, I'm waiting for the sequel. And uh, and personally, I think Aiming High should be a movie <laughs> because it's we're it's working incredible. on it. Believe it or not, you'll know. Yeah, we're working <laughs> on it. There's been a couple. There's been a couple big production companies that have contacted me. I'm just trying to take it all in stride, one day at a time, right now. Well, yeah, oh, absolutely, and that that day's coming. And uh, Darren, I want to thank you so much for just 
taking time out of your very, very busy schedule to come onto the show today. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. You need to get on Amazon.com. You need to type in Aiming High, Darren Prince, D-A-R-R-E-N, Darren Prince. Buy that book. Download that book. You need to read it. If you know somebody who's going through a substance abuse program, um, a substance abuse at this time, give them the book. Uh, just pass it around. It is a great read. If you're a big sports fan, uh, you're going to love the untold stories that Darren tells. But uh, it is a story of a man who hit bottom while at the top. And to and, and in my mind, Darren, you hit the top when you were 14 years old, to tell you the truth. It's hard to see a, a teenager in high school making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But uh, you are a an amazing human being. And I want to thank you for being on. Thanks again, man. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Darren Prince. So again, get his book, Aiming High. And remember to catch every episode of Life Changing Wellness. Just hit subscribe on iTunes or my other channels as well. And on my show page at RadioMD.com slash Dr. Bond. And if I can ask you a favor, please take 30 seconds, rate the show on iTunes. Thank you for doing that for me as we want to bring you the best show possible. And you can learn more about me at DrWardBond.com. And thank you for listening to Life Changing Wellness. Again, I am your host, Dr. Ward Bond. And remember, something spectacular happens when you treat your body right. Have a blessed day, everyone.